Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are here listening to Energy Matters at Valley Free Radio, and we have a very special episode today. We are here interviewing Kathleen Ferris, um, who is a, a medium, a, a psychic medium. So we're going to have all kinds of good conversations about uh, about spirit and about our intuition and really kind of delving into this. So, so welcome, Kathleen. Thank you, Caroline. I'm excited to be here. Hi, I'm very excited that you're here as well. So I'm I'm really curious. We met very recently at a um, at a networking event, and you know I think that I'm always fascinated anytime I meet anyone that does professional psychic or medium type work. Um, how can you tell? Well, first, can you tell us a little bit about what what is a medium? Sure. So a medium functions as a bit of a middleman between the people in the spirit world and the people here in the physical world. So what the medium is able to do is open up and either hear or see or know things that the people in the spirit world want to convey to their loved ones here in the physical world. So it's um, um, and really a blessing to be able to have those capacities and I choose to use them to serve to really bring healing to people by hearing from their loved ones in the spirit world getting messages from them of love of forgiveness of healing and hope so it's a really beautiful ability to have how have you witnessed this work as being a healing modality Sure. So what often happens when someone passes away is that we have those feelings of unresolved apologies that need to be given, or perhaps the person who passed away was angry with us when they died. And so we here in the physical world carry that guilt with us, and it can really be such a huge impediment to the grieving process. We get kind of stuck in that grieving process. I've read for thousands of people now, it's been an honor, and what I've heard repeatedly is that people carry this guilt with them for years and decades. Having the opportunity to speak with your loved one in the spirit world and find out that they are in fact apologizing for their behavior, or perhaps giving you the forgiveness that you wanted to seek before they passed, really takes such a weight off of people's shoulders. So it's really beautiful to see people come into the reading with that sense of heaviness and then leave feeling so light and happy. It sounds like after we pass, we might be nicer. Well, I think we're tapped into infinite intelligence, and I think we're tapped into our life as a, a big picture, kind of that macro view of things. So I think the little things that seem to get us upset and angry and stressed out are all related to this physical realm. And I think once we get out of this physical shell, none of those things like traffic, construction, the slowdowns on the road, time, none of those things really bother us anymore. So how, how did you get into this work? 
Sure. I was actually born a medium. So as a child, I was talking, um, I would call it think talking mm -hmm. because I wasn't able to talk yet with my physical body, but I was think talking to loved ones in the spirit world as a baby. And then as I got to be a, a toddler, preschooler, an elementary school kiddo, I found that that made me a little bit weirder than the other kids. And it wasn't necessarily something that people were happy to have happening in the classroom. <laughs> Do you have, oh, of course, I know, I can imagine that a teacher would find that very disruptive. I went to Catholic school, too, so. Oh, no. <laughs> do you remember, do you have memories as a baby yes. doing this work? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. What were your memories as a, as a, as a infant uh, communicating with spirit? What was that? Uh, what, can you share some of that with us? Sure. So as a baby, I was very much afraid of the dark, and yet I couldn't communicate that to my mom. Um, you know, I couldn't speak yet. And so my screaming was just, you know, what is she screaming about? We don't know what she's screaming about. Give her another bottle. Change her diaper. Um, it was the early 70s. So the idea was, you know, you put the child to bed, you shut the door, and it's pitch black, and the child will cry themselves to sleep. So for me, it was really distressing, and I would talk with my loved ones in the spirit world, and they would bring me uh, company. They would keep me busy in my crib and really give me assurances that I was going to be okay, even mm. though I couldn't see in the dark. Um, but then as I grew up, they showed me all kinds of really great things. So, you know, really helped me with learning different tasks that I needed to to survive and, and be happy and healthy. How, as, as you grew up, how did, what kind of things did they, did they teach you um, along the way? Sure. So um, on one occasion, I accidentally locked myself in my bedroom and I happened to be home alone. It was probably second grade time frame. And there was this panic that I was going through that, you know, I was going to be stuck in this bedroom for all eternity. And uh, <laughs> they showed me how to take a small card, um, sort of like a, a driver's license today, but it was a small card I had gotten from some sort of a, I don't know, cereal box. I don't know. And they showed me how to put it in the door and wiggle it to jimmy the door open. They showed you how to jimmy a lock. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, I have never used that for ill, though, I, just to get myself out of my bedroom that one time. That's very funny. Yeah. But also a classic trick that, you know, my older brother's taught me too. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> infinite intelligence. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So they also showed me um, at one point I had to get out of the house very quickly and I had never tried to open storm windows. And as a six, seven year old kiddo, you don't know to pinch those little clasps on the side to get the storm window to go. Um, but one of my people in the spirit world showed me to pull my toy box over and pinch those and lift and then dump all the bedding out the window and jump. Wow. So, you know, they that were was an very emergency helpful. situation, huh? It was, yeah. And, you know, it was really beautiful to have that support because I wasn't ever alone as a kid. Mm. <laughs> were these your spirit guides? Were they grandparents that had passed? Did you know who they were? Could you see them clearly? Sure, absolutely. So as a kiddo, I could see all of the people in the spirit world who chose to come over and hang out with me. And so thankfully, when I was born, all four of my grandparents were still alive. And so um, what I was seeing were um, people from generations back. So I had with me for several years a girl who had passed at the age of about 12 is what I knew at the time. And she had told me she was a cousin of mine. She was in the 1800s. She had drowned in a river. Whoa. And so she had told me her name and who she was. I was very upset with her, though, because the first day I met her was when we moved to our big new house in the suburbs. And I had the thick green shag rug, a la 1976. And she was standing soaking wet in my new bedroom. And I was so upset. 
you know, you're ruining my carpet. What are you doing? She's like, don't worry, it's spirit water. Yeah, I didn't understand some of those differences as a kid, but uh, she was with me for several years. And so it was fun. My mom didn't believe any of this. She thought I was just a very imaginative child. And so when things would go missing and whatnot, I would blame my cousin and my mother would say, yeah, okay, yeah, right. And then years later, just a few years ago, actually, we did some genealogy. And I sat back like the Cheshire Cat and said, you let me know when you find her in the genealogy. And then my mom found her, and it was really validating for me, you know, woo, 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, having your parents authenticate you and, you know, mm-hmm. see this as your truth. Right, yeah. <laughs> Do you, having, so your, your whole time, did your mom, when did your mom kind of come around? Was it that genealogy moment that she finally started really validating this? Or did she kind of start accepting this at, at, like throughout? Sure. So I was very active with the mediumship as a child. When I was eight, my paternal grandmother passed away. And just a few months later, her husband passed. I could not connect to them mediumistically, which had me very distraught. I went and spoke with the Catholic priest because that's what you do when you're a young Irish Catholic girl in the 70s. And um, he said that what I was doing was not okay and I needed to stop. So the fear of eternal damnation had me turn down my mediumistic abilities and really close those doors, lock them, brick them over. So from the age of uh, probably 10 until my 30s, I was not tapping into those abilities. Can I, so how... This is something that I find people often do very early because I also teach people how to kind of trust their, they have a little confidence in their intuition and Mm -hmm. and kind of build it and develop it more as a skill. You kind of come in blossoming, you know, very early. How can you explain to people listening at home? And if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Kathleen Ferris, who is a medium. Can you tell us a little bit about how people block, how they shut it down? Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like, how that happens? So for me, what I really worked on was not hearing anything anymore and not seeing anything anymore. And if we think about some of the words that we hear in reference to psychics and mediums, like clairvoyance, which means clear seeing, and that would tap into that third eye range right over your eyebrows. So for me, it was almost putting like mud on that third eye. It was putting mud, um, energetic mud, I guess you could say, to really create a sticky, gooey blech that would not allow the communication to come through. And it wasn't perfect in the beginning. I had to really work at it. It took a lot of effort to close that down. But I think what a lot of people do is they focus on this physical reality and they just stop paying attention to what their innate abilities might be or what their soul is pulling them to move towards. Do you feel like that was an important part of your your journey, trusting your mediumship and your, your skills to close it down for a little while? Do you think that was an important part of your journey? I think it was important because I really needed to focus on the lessons that I came into this incarnation to learn, and those were all based here in this physical reality. So I really needed to focus on what was happening here versus being split 50-50 between this physical reality and what's happening in the spirit world. What's nice is that I then had the motivation 
when I was ready to come back to doing this work to really pursue what I knew had been my standard of work as a kid. So it wasn't just this, you know, oh, I'm in my 30s and I'm going to try and figure this whole thing out. I really had beautiful, uh, clear memories of what that mediumship looked like and felt like. So I'm, I'm working my way back to being that good and that clean and that clear with it all. Do you feel like when you're a kid, you're a little bit more tapped into it? Or do you Mm -hmm. think that it can be, I mean, are all kids tapped into it like that? Well, I think my personal opinion is that all people are psychic. And as children, we have not learned the rules of this physical reality that the psychic piece isn't necessarily as valued in our society today as what you can do in this material world. So I think everybody has that level of psychic. And I think if you talk to a handful of people, you're going to find that almost everybody has had uh, a day where they've thought about a certain relative or a certain friend, and then they find that they have a voicemail at home from that person. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. It happens to all of us. So that level of psychicness exists within all of us. I think some people just choose to figure out how to make that grow or or hone that skill. Mm, Absolutely. I love that. Tell us a little bit about what what is the difference between a psychic and a medium? Sure. Sure. So a psychic is someone who is able to connect with the energy of the person sitting in front of them or the people standing around them. Um, A psychic is able to get information about people through their objects. So when you see someone holding an object and getting information from that, that's a psychic skill. Psychics have usually um, different flavors. There's empaths who feel things from the people around them or the places that they are. There are intuitives who seem to just know things. They don't know why they know them. They just know them. Um, So psychic work can be doing card readings or using runes or bones or stones, tea leaves, those types of things to bring information through to the client. And then a medium is someone who can connect with people in the spirit world and get their evidence. So energetically, if I were doing a psychic reading with you, I'd be merging my energy field with yours and then getting information for you about you. Whereas with mediumship, I'd be connecting my energy with that loved one in the spirit world and bringing through their physical description, their health issues, their memories, and whatever messages they have for the client sitting in front of me. So it's almost as if uh, a medium, so it's almost as if you're, it just depends on where you're directing your attention. Correct. Yes. Gotcha. Um, Do you have a preference of which one you like? Do you like doing the, because you do a little bit of both within your professional practice. I do both. And it's interesting. I, I love to do the psychic work because that's always very helpful for people to have some input, some clarification or validation on what's going on in their lives things that they should be moving towards or perhaps things to be wary of. Um, But really and truly for me, I love the mediumship. I really love to talk with those people in the spirit world and to bring through their laughter and their mannerisms. I, I find the psychic work to be very helpful for this physical reality, but I think that the mediumship work is so much more helpful on the soul level. Can you tell us a little bit about if someone is a fly on the wall, what does a, a psychic, I mean, um, a medium reading look like? 
Sure. So typically when a client comes in to see me, I will gauge their uh, comfort level. If the person is really nervous and they're shaky, I'll usually take a few minutes to just calm them down and get to know me, kind of send them some good vibes to get them to just relax and let them know that they can trust me, that this is a safe place. Why would somebody be super nervous coming into a reading? A lot of times it has to do with the programming we've grown up with. So me as a, um, you know, 30 year or so Catholic, this is not welcomed in the Catholic religion. So this is not something that's quote unquote allowed for a lot of different religions. So if someone feels very much pulled to come have a reading, but it goes against their religious background, that's a conflict and they have to work their way through that. Other times it can be that they didn't feel as if they did enough for their loved one before they passed, or maybe they had to pull a plug or do something really superhuman like that. And then they're worried about what's my loved one's reaction going to be? Are they mad at me? Do they hate me for that? So again, we walk around with so much baggage that sometimes we have to stop and unpack that before we get into the the meat and potatoes of the reading. Mm -hmm. But once everybody's comfortable, I move forward and start connecting with the loved ones that are right there ready to talk with them. Usually after 30 or 40 minutes of that connecting, I'll see if they have any specific people that we haven't yet talked to. You know, is there someone in particular you'd like me to try and bring in? Unfortunately, we can't just do a direct dial and pull through. You know, otherwise I talk to really big names every day if, if I could. Um, but Which big names would you talk to? Oh my gosh, I would love to talk to some of the big celebrities that we just, my generation grew up hearing about but didn't necessarily know. There are so many amazing stories from old Hollywood. And, you know, was that really true? Did that really happen? I would love to talk with some of the big names like Jesus, Buddha, you know, the big names. Um, Have you tried? I have not made that attempt specifically. I really have dealt more with, um, with the mediumship, you're really dealing more with people. Um, You know, when we look at the big names like Buddha and Jesus, they would be classified more as ascended masters. And that is not something you're going to typically do with just straight mediumship. You'd really have to be moving more towards channeling, which can sometimes sound like it's splitting hairs, but it's a whole different skill set. So for me in my meditative practice, I certainly have had guidance from some of those higher vibrating people. Uh, But for my day-to-day life, it's more of the grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and brothers and sisters, that kind of thing. There's a lot of those spirits that have passed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll bring through the people who are readily there. Typically, they know what the questions are for my client. It is believed that for about six to eight weeks prior to a mediumship reading, your loved ones in the spirit world are watching the medium and getting to know how I work, what do I always get right, what do I always get wrong, so then they know how to compensate for my skill set or my lack of a frame of reference for something, and then they're able to also be watching the people who are going to be coming to that reading so they know what questions they need to really be ready to answer. So how do... How do you know when you're getting things right and how do you know when you're getting things wrong? Typically when I'm in a reading with someone, I will ask them to tell me yes, no, or I don't know. So if something comes through and they say no to me, I then have to talk to that person in the spirit world and say, okay, are they just not remembering it? Or did I perhaps put my own slant on it and make it incorrect? 
For example, I had a reading just a couple of days ago where the mom in the spirit world was showing me a picture of the young lady sitting across the table from me in a little white dress with white ankle socks and white shoes. And I, I said, oh, she's showing me a picture of your first communion. And the lady across from me said, no. And I said, well, she's showing me a picture of you as a young girl in a white dress with little white ankle socks and white shoes. And she said, yes, that was my brother's bar mitzvah. Oh. <laughs> so I put my slant on it coming from the Catholicism that that was First Communion, when if I had just communicated it the way that this lovely lady was showing it to me, I would have gotten the yes from my client versus having to really look at that piece of evidence a little bit more deeply. So that must that must make you really detail oriented in how you communicate uh, that information that comes through. Absolutely, and what I find is if I put my slant on anything, I give it a fifty-fifty shot of being wrong or getting a no from my client, because if it's given to me as a photograph with just the white outfit, that's all I should really say. I shouldn't try to get my own flavor into it. Right, because there's so much more to uh, to people's lives or to those white ankle socks or <laughs> to that white dress as a child that absolutely that, that can represent. Right, and then sometimes the people in the spirit world will give me words and phrases in languages that I don't speak. And so I can't put a flavor on it. I just have to say it the way it's been given to me. And so, you know, I can't necessarily understand it, nor should I be concerned about that. It's not my message. It's not my memory. It's not my loved one. So really, it's just being in the middle and relaying the information to the client so that they know that their loved ones are well on the other side, the quote unquote other side, um, and that love and life, they, they just never end. Does any of this information that comes through to you ever scare you or uh, surprise you in a way that is uh, maybe feels makes you feel taken aback? No, really, the messages that have come through for me, and, and I've been doing this for about five years now, every message is coming through from a point of love and a point of helpfulness and healing. And there's really nothing ever stern or angry or grouchy even that happens. So I find the messages to just be gorgeous and so beautiful. I'm always grateful and honored to be a part of the process. Hmm, that's really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whenever you uh, whenever you talk about it, your face kind of lights up and it really you can tell that this this work really does bring you a lot of joy it does and I'm so honored to be able to do this work because it's what my soul really wants to do and I remember hearing something years ago that if you feel like you're working every day you've got to find your passion and when you do what you love you never work another day in your life so I get it now, I really do, because I'm constantly amazed at what comes out of my face in a reading. You know? <laughs> I'm like, what did I just say? Like, um, that was another language that right. I have never spoken. Absolutely. And people's nicknames and things, you know, like how would a stranger know those types of intimate details? So it's always an honor for me that the people in the spirit world trust me because, you know, they, they have their choice of mediums. They can work with me or they can work with a million other people. But the fact that they chose to work with me is always something that makes me feel very humbled. Do you, so on your website, which is mysacredwhispers.com, and if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Kathleen Ferris, who is a medium. On your website, mysacredwhispers.com, um, you describe yourself as an evidential medium. What is an evidential medium, and how is that different from 
somebody doing a different type of, of mediumship? Sure. So I think it's important in today's world, especially here in the U.S., that people have evidence of who the loved one is in the spirit world. I've been to group readings where the person up on the platform or the stage will say, you know, Caroline, I have a woman standing behind your left shoulder and she wants to let you know she's seen the struggles you've been going through. It's all going to work out. And then they move on to the next person. Well, I want to know the evidence. Who was that woman? Was it a relative? Was it a guide? Was it a next door neighbor? Who was that woman? So the evidential piece is just really giving proof that the person I'm speaking with is who this client is looking to speak with, that this is grandma or mom or dad or whomever, um, by talking about their physical descriptions, some of their physical maladies, um, memories, catchphrases, um, all kinds of things, the details that make that person really a well-rounded person versus saying, well, I have this feminine energy (laughs) and I want to wave a magic wand when I hear those things like, oh, it's a magical energy. (laughs) And I feel like That is where skeptics are born. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't mind skeptics. I regularly will have a believer come to a reading with a skeptic. And the skeptic sits down and folds their arms and they look away and they're just completely tuned off. No, thanks. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, What I really work with is other people's opinions of me are not my business. So if it's a good opinion, great. If it's not, fine, Uh, but it's really not my business. And I'm entitled to my own opinions, so no one's going to make me believe or disbelieve anything. Um, So what I find is usually when I just ignore the skepticism and do what I do, which is to connect with the loved ones in the spirit world and deliver their evidence, that those skeptics all of a sudden are whispering to the believer, well, ask about this. See if they remember that. (laughs) But what happens when that skeptic is your parent or a very you know, influential person in your life as you're growing up. Sure. So in that case, I think you have to separate some of the ego from the soul piece. So if I'm feeling less than or I'm feeling intimidated, those fear-based things, that's typically the, the human mind or the ego really getting in my own way. And I mean, how many of us have spent hours going through the what ifs and the hypotheticals and none of them ever come to fruition, but yet we beat ourselves up. We lost that sleep. We didn't eat that meal. So for me, you know, I really was uh, quote unquote in the closet spiritually for many years once I came back to this as an adult and telling my family was really difficult. I didn't really come out to everybody until just a few weeks ago, actually. So that was very cathartic for me to just be authentic and say, here I am, love me, hate me, whatever. Um, I am who I am and I know my truth and here I stand. What was the importance for you of having that kind of coming out for your medium skills, mediumship skills? Sure. So, you know, if I'm not honest with myself, how can anyone around me think that I'm being fully honest with them? So for me, I really had to bite the bullet and stop hiding my business page on social media, my website, all of those things were doing very well, but there was no connection to who I am as an individual. And I had kept that separate because of fear and worry. What if they unfriend me? What if they no longer talk to me when I see them in the Walmart shopping line, you know? Um, So there was all of that fear that was coming along and I needed to just say enough's enough. I need to stand up and own my truth if I want to be doing this work full time and to really be the very best that I can be. Anytime we let fear limit us, it limits us in so many ways. 
And in ways that we sometimes don't want it to limit us. Right. <laughs> Tell me, so, okay, so I know you said that, you know, kind of early on your, your mother didn't really fully believe what was going on for mm-hmm. you. And so you had this kind of, you know, this ghostly cousin who yeah. was coming up and, you know, hiding things and, right. but also kind of supporting you in your journey mm-hmm. as you were, um, as you were growing up. If we flip that around, because I, I know a lot of a lot of people, and there's a lot more awareness around, uh, you know, rainbow children and these kind of really really psychic kids that are kind of being born mm-hmm. into this plane, into this earth to kind of raise our vibrations. Right. What if you if a parent has a very psychic little kid that sees grandma and has spirits and they aren't there yet, but they want to be able to support their kids in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. What, what would you suggest? Well, I think the first thing is to, to listen honestly to your children. Don't necessarily dismiss it as just imagination or remnants of a TV show. And certainly if your child is greeting people that they would not have known here in the physical world, and yet they know details about that relative, I would say, you know, you almost have to believe that that's what's happening. Next, I would say that it's important to let your child know that you love them regardless of what behaviors they're exhibiting and regardless of what a teacher or a doctor might say. And I think once children recognize that they're safe and they've got that support network, they can really be a little more free to be whoever they are. I think it's also important to let kids know that they can say no thank you to an ability. They don't have to be necessarily miserable as a medium or a psychic or whatever their particular label may be. So I think it's important to empower our children to say yes, but also to say no when it's the right thing for them. I'd also say look around because there are countless wellness centers in the area where there are people who have lived lives like mine and we've dealt with some of the short-sightedness or maybe closed-mindedness and we're happy to help whether it's a support group or a phone call once a month or whatever that might be, there's a lot of us in the Valley and I'm sure there's lots of wellness centers where there would be resources available as far as psychic kids, meetups and intuitive groups, that type of thing. Lovely. Lovely. I feel like there's, uh, there's a lot of people who are probably feel very alone as parents dealing with that situation or it's quiet. They just keep it to themselves and within the family. Oh, for sure. But yet if you just look for a little bit of help, I'm thinking you're going to find a whole lot of options. How did you kind of come into the more divination and the psychic work as you were kind of folding back in your mediumship, how, how what is what did that journey look for you? Look like for you? Sure. So um, when I had hit forty, I was part of a running group. It was called Couch Potato to Five K. I love it, which was aptly named. And one of the ladies in the running group was a Reiki practitioner who was doing Reiki, but only for hospice patients. And I was so enamored with this idea. And I kept asking her to give me a session and she would refuse and I would offer her money and then I would barter, you know, I'll bring you a goat, whatever you need. And and she just kept refusing and it put me on a path to really discover what Reiki was. 
And I went for a Reiki session at a local wellness center, and I was terrified. Again, you know, coming from the religious background, you know, am I opening myself up to demons? What's going on? So there was that whole fear-based reaction that I was having at the time. But once I got on the table, I got the little eye pillow on and the beautiful Navajo blanket, and my grandmother came in the room in spirit, and I turned my head to look at her, and the Reiki practitioner said, oh, you're a medium. And I thought, well, no, I'm, I'm a little bit large at the moment. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> didn't even realize what the vernacular was. Making jokes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really was just at a loss as a child. That word had never been used. So I, I didn't know that phrasing. And so I started to go to an intuitive group that this same lady was hosting at the Wellness Center. And as we were going through that process, she picked up that I would be good at doing psychic readings. And I thought, well, that's lovely. And then she actually had someone cancel at an expo where she had booked a booth and she needed somebody to share the expense, but also somebody to handle some of the clientele. And she said, you know, meet me here on Saturday with a deck of cards. And I said, I don't, I don't own cards. What, what kind of cards? I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I went on Amazon and found some different uh, tarot card decks and picked a couple that I thought I might like. And then being very left-brained, I made a spreadsheet you know, what every card represented based on the book that came with the deck. Uh, there was no intuitive thought process for me that first week. And when I showed up at the expo to do the readings, um, the lady who was obviously much more of a veteran than me, she took the spreadsheet right away from me and she said, okay, you're going to talk from your gut. What do you feel like the card meets, means for your sitter? So uh, that's how I got started. And wow. once I got started doing that work with the public, I realized what I didn't know, which was great. And then I knew that I needed to start learning other things so that the readings were able to be as comprehensive as possible. So again, it was coming back to that standard that I had set as a child for how my work was. And I am always one to meet or exceed expectations. You know, that A-type personality who gets A's every class they get. And, you know, if the room has to be clean, you know, it's going to be eat off the floor clean, that kind of thing. So for me, it was really all about becoming the very best that I could be, not that I was in competition with anyone else or you know ego based of you know well I have to have so many followers or anything like that it was more about just knowing that I was giving my clients the very best that I could and how do you feel like how do you feel like adding in let me back a, back up a step what is it that you felt like as you were kind of learning these these divination tools and using tarot what else did you feel like you needed to study up on to give a strong reading? Sure. So for me, I have always been very Celtic in my background. I, I am Irish. And so I really wanted to learn about the runes. And they have been a, a huge part of my adult life, which has been fantastic. So that was an area I really wanted to learn. Right now, I'm dipping my toe into learning more about shamanism and the Wiccan community. Um, again, I just want to know as much as I can know so that I have frames of reference to help with my clients. So for me, it was really just about expanding my knowledge base and being able to give my clients the answers they need. And what's interesting is that the message is the message. There are times when someone sits with me for a psychic reading, I'll flip a few cards over, maybe I even talk about the card, but really once our energies are connected, the messages are coming. And that can be with the pendulum or without, with the runes or without, with the cards or without, the message is going to come through so that the client gets what they need from that reading. So all of these are, are just tools 
to right. help help people understand what's what is important information for them. Absolutely. And a lot of times, again, people are looking for that evidence. And if I sit here and just talk to you about it, it doesn't feel very evidential. But if the cards show it, now it seems to take on a greater level of validity. And if that's what a client needs, I'm more than happy to do that because I trust that the right cards are going to come through with the right information so that the message gets relayed. Oh, I love that. What decks are you working with right now? I am, well, I have a few that are favorites for me. So right now I'd say my favorite deck is the Angel Tarot deck that was originally created by Doreen Virtue and Radley Valentine. Mm. And then I've got uh, a deck of rune cards that were made um, a little bit smaller scale than than what Hay House would distribute. And then I've got a John Holland deck. Uh, so there's, there's three that I use pretty much every day, but certainly depending on what I know the background might be for a client. And I don't ask my clients ahead of time what their flavors are, but I meditate. I do a, a pregame procedure before every reading. So while I'm in that meditation, if I'm guided to get out the Rider weight deck or a different set of decks, I certainly will listen to that and do that. So what what is your pregame routine before a session? Sure. So I have a really sensitive stomach. I'm, I have a lot of food allergies and intolerances. So the Full, full belly is not a friend for me going into readings because our chakras are utilized for the readings almost exclusively and they are also tied with our major organ groups. So if those organs aren't getting what they need and yet I've got a full stomach, then I'm gonna have some issues later. So I tend to fast before I work. So if I've got readings in the morning, I just don't eat breakfast until those are done. If I've got readings later in the day, I make sure that I've got four or five hours of processing before I'm going into that. I will set that sacred space. I, I set the um, the big four archangels on the corners of the room and uh, often will burn essential oils, not burn them. <laughs> uh, I will burn gently sage. Gently warm them. Gently yeah. <laughs> warm them in a diffuser. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, burning sage sometimes happens, sometimes the Palo Santo. Uh, most of the time it's essential oils. And I will meditate using some mantras and mudras and some beautiful Sanskrit um, songs and get to my place. So certainly doing that grounding and centering, but also allowing some input from my team of guides and inspirers about what this client coming in might need. So I, I try to be as prepared as I can, have all the tools ready, have myself straight and square, you might say, so that I'm ready to go as soon as they walk through the door. I love it. <laughs> What is, um, so we're, we're kind of coming to a close for today's show. Can you tell people how they can find more information about what, where, you know, where you, where they can find you? Sure. So uh, you can certainly find me on Facebook under My Sacred Whispers. And uh, certainly Instagram is at My Sacred Whispers. And then the website is MySacredWhispers.com. My cell number is 413 519-1730. So you can feel free to call or text me. And certainly happy to answer any questions people might have about a reading uh, before we schedule anything. And what, you know, as, as we're kind of closing out for today, um, you know, chatting with Kathleen Farris, what would you, would you leave out? What kind of information would you like to leave out into the universe 
right now. Any any last messages that you'd like to communicate? Well, I think it's important to let people know that their loved ones are right around them all the time. We often think that our loved ones are off in some limbo, some heaven that's distant. It's not right here around us. So I think it's important to let people know that their loved ones are right here around them, and they're just a, a thought away. We can always ask them for input, for advice, for assistance. And I, I think it's important also to understand that life like love can never die. So we continue on, our loved ones continue on, and that bond will remain forever. And that that is that is some truth right there, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And I feel like I feel like, and you know, what do you have a different understanding of of death? now that you chat with people who have have crossed over? Absolutely. I think for a lot of my adult years, I was very much concerned about leaving a legacy and leaving a mark, meaning, you know, having a house that I could sell or having a business that I could send, making sure that I had children who had children. And now I understand that really the only difference is that I'm free of this physical shell. I'm still going to be me with my quirks and my odd humor. And uh, my loved ones will remember me and I'll be able to communicate with them and so it's not so much about leaving a legacy as it is about just having those really great relationships. Mm, I love that. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your world. And, you know, I, I think that it's, it's, really, it's, it's really nice to be able to have a refreshing conversation that feels unlimited. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my honor to be here. Absolutely. We're going to close out now. Listen, have a great evening.